Welcome to Conversations with Karalia, where we take a nuanced deep dive into all things related to spirituality, sexuality, power, and awakening. My name is Karalia, and I'm your host for this journey. I invite you to relax back, open up, and get curious. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and share the love. Are you ready to realize the self, to resolve your shit, to rejoice in daily life? Join Karalia's community via her online platform, The Toolbox. Get ready for a paradigm shift in how you experience yourself and your reality. The Toolbox, where you'll find everything you need for the spiritual path, view teachings, practices, community, and a teacher who cares. Find the toolbox at toolbox.karalia.com. T-O-O-L-B-O-X dot K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H dot com. This week on the show, I have Ellie Wilde. So Ellie Wild and I have been friends for a number of years. Not even sure when I first met her, but she lives in Mount Monganui, lives down in, in Tauranga with her son. She is a somatic sexologist, relationship and intimacy guide. And she's been doing this work for like 20 odd years. Um, she loves exploring the feminine mysteries. She's all about heart and womb wisdom, about yin, sexuality, relationship, intimacy, the power of human connection. Um, Ali was a facilitator for ISTA for a number of years, so no doubt we'll touch on that. It's definitely not the whole of what we're going to be talking about, though. Ali has so much wisdom to offer about, wow, you know what? I'm not even going to put words in her mouth. I'm going to say, let's wait and see what she's got to say. Remember to hang around for after the interview when I do a little reflection on what we might have talked about. And if you haven't yet, please do subscribe so that you don't miss the next episodes of Conversation with Karalia when they come out. Ellie Wild, welcome to the show. Welcome to Conversations with Karalia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. You know, as you know, you and I have had lots of deep and meaningful conversations around power dynamics, trauma-informed work, what it means to be a facilitator, and in particular, your journey, which I've been fascinated by. Like, I can't remember when we first met, but I was always like, who is that woman? She is a powerhouse. So thrilled to have you here today. And I want to know, let's start with where you are this week, today, well, this month. Like, yeah, where are you in the world and, and what's lighting you up right now? Um, so I'm in Tauranga, New Zealand, and what's lighting me up right now, actually really getting into Christmas this year, not so much the buying the prezies and stuff, but the celebration of getting together with others and solstice and kind of feeling like a bit of a celebratory feeling in me, like wanting to have fun and um yeah mm. yeah enjoying like this crazy weather like one minute it's pissing down with rain and the next minute it's beautiful sunshine here at the moment yeah, yeah. and uh, today it's beautiful sunshine so 
Yeah, it feels like to me at the moment, it's like make this feeling of making the most of life. Yeah. What does that mean to you, making the most of life? Yeah, I think it's like seizing opportunities that feel good. Ha. And, um, and also, you know, slowing down enough to be able to be be in the experience of your life. Like uh, I think a younger me was very ambitious and had a lot of will, but I I was often sort of thinking about the future and sort of charging ahead and perhaps not really, you know, slowing down enough to smell the roses as well. Like I really like taking time out in my work day and baking Christmas cookies and hanging them on the Christmas tree and having an afternoon nap and enjoying sitting out in the garden in the mornings and, yeah, I'm definitely learning to slow down a whole lot more Mm. even though there is like quite a lot of energy coming back to me to want to produce things and co-create. I'm uh-huh. noticing that I'm only doing that in small chunks and the rest of the time I'm nurturing myself and slowing down. And Because mm. you've been through a really interesting journey, I'd say, over, over the last 11, 12 years. So in 2011 you discovered ISTA and then around 2020, like I think when I, you wrote a post in September on, on Facebook and you said that you did 14 international ISTA trainings as a facilitator over the two-year period leading into COVID. Like that's an enormous amount of traveling and, and holding space. Um, can you, I'm not quite sure where to start here. Like do we start with your journey into ISTA and what that was like or do we start with your journey out of ISTA and what that was like? To what you've I mean, learned in the last few years? You could start anywhere. I mean, when you said that, you know, and I re- recalled the 14 trainings, which, you know, amazing countries I visited, so many people that I met and saw and, you know, there was a there was a lot of beauty in that as well as a lot of kind of exhaustion um, and kind of maxing out my nervous system a bit too much. I just couldn't take in that many people, places and countries and, not the level that I want to connect with people at. So, yeah, maybe we can start with kind of how I found myself in in the lockdowns in 2020 and COVID. Like I was actually like, oh, thank God, you know, what a relief. (laughs) Now I have an excuse to have collapsed and have my wheels fallen off and I can pretend it's because of COVID, but actually it wasn't. It was really good timing because I was kind of skidding to a halt here in New Zealand and yeah not just exhausted I think yeah mm. yeah you talked in that post about your experience with ISTA as getting to a point where you were were burned out and that there was as you were becoming more and more trauma informed as you went and wanting it sounds like wanting to make ISTA more trauma-informed but not feeling like you were being supported in that particular thread. Can you share a little about what those, yeah, just about your journey with ISTA because you were there for nine years and I imagine there was a lot of awesomeness and also other stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing with ISTA-type spaces is this is this is what is taught and this is what is in the culture is like these are transformational spaces they're not therapeutic spaces if you need a therapeutic space go to a therapist this is for transformation and 
that's, I agree with that. It's great. If someone has some deep personal psychological or emotional or, you know, trauma, it's probably not the best thing to go into one of those spaces. However, there's no reason why in the transformational spaces we can't learn from the therapeutic world and, and actually not even the therapeutic world, like some of the spaces I've been inhabiting over the last three years and especially lately, they take kind of um, a trauma-informed approach but it's a very transformational space and it's very otherworldly sometimes and very archetypal um, but it feels very different in my body and being and I think that's what I was wanting to bring into ISTA and what I was wanting to influence ISTA with and um, what I'm learning now is the main big difference about it is it's very um, it's all about choice every moment even the way every word is spoken in the facilitation it's there's so much choice in every moment so whichever journey you're taking people on even though they're being guided they're being guided with so much permission just to find their own way and it's just drummed in over and over and, it, and it's just a very skillful facilitation that I'm experiencing at the moment myself as a participant, which is teaching me so much around how to hold group space for others. Yeah, and the main difference I can feel is it's it. there's just so much permission and so much yes. choice in every moment, yet it's very, it's doesn't, it's not passive and it doesn't lack direction. So you're mm. still directing people, but in a way that is giving them permission to say no at any moment or to change direction or to, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my understanding of this, like I've never done any ISTA trainings, but my understanding is that there is permission to say no and people are, you know, there's pieces around consent and around boundaries and people are encouraged to acknowledge and respect their boundaries what was your experience when you, because you, you were there from 2011 to 2020. So just to be clear for those of you watching, when we're speaking of ISTA, we're talking about ISTA historically and up and up until 2020. So we're not necessarily referring to what's going on right now. Um, so yeah, in terms of consent boundaries, my understanding is that ISTA encouraged people to know their no's and to respect their no's. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's definitely there in the curriculum. And it's definitely something which is spoken of by the facilitation team and the assistants and the culture. However, when we're on microphones telling people to breathe, move, make sounds, come on, like, you know, the music's directing it in a certain way, everyone's doing a certain thing, there is a powerful influence happening that isn't giving people choice. And it isn't giving people the option in the moment to find their own. Like it, it's, in my experience, it's just not sensitive enough to the fact that some people um, just might be taking a very different route themselves. And and I guess it also depends on the level of skill of the person who is navigating those processes. So I'm sort of talking more about the more um you know, the ritual spaces that we, we 
we took people through in ISTA, if someone has a very good level of awareness and a very deep sense of embodiment and knows themselves in their own way, then maybe they'll just ignore what's happening on the microphone and they'll just be like, oh. But, you know, to me that's a missed opportunity because a skillful facilitator can help those people go deeper as well and help those people go to places that they maybe hadn't visited in themselves before and help them unwind their trauma that they didn't even know they had. Mm. That's the difference. It's like another, it's like a, to me, it just feels like another level up, like another, another refinement, another maturity of um, ways of holding space mm-hmm. for people's embodiment, for people's accessing you know, more um, more of who they really are. I suppose that's why people come to places like ISTA. They want to access more of themselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when when COVID hit, you'd done these fourteen international trainings. You know, you had been a big part of the ISTA community. Like you kind of laid the groundwork for ISTA to come and supported it to do what it did over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. What was it like on a personal and professional level? Like, did you choose to step away from ISTA at that point when COVID hit, or was there a period of like no events are happening anyway? Like, how was no, that? There was a little bit of period of time when nothing was happening because none of us were traveling um, and the restrictions were a little bit um, difficult to do trainings in. Um, I did actually do a training in 2020. I went over to San Diego. Um, and worked with Kamala Devi, her beautiful, it was a beautiful um, training. Um, But I didn't, I was still feeling like um, maybe I was going in a different direction and I needed something slower. Perhaps I guess in 2020 I was still in a bit of confusion about where I stood with Esther and whether I wanted to continue with them. I knew that I couldn't continue in the way I had that many trainings. And I decided in 2020, not only could we not really travel, I was like, actually, that's good for me. I don't really want to keep traveling like this anymore, as alluring as it is and exciting as it is to appear to be this kind of rock star that's traveling the world. And yeah, there's parts (laughs) of it that might feel glamorous and there's parts of it that just... I don't know, like I just couldn't, parts of me just could not cope with it at all. It's Mm. too much. Um, So short answer is I was still with ISTA in 2020. Um, I didn't actually leave ISTA officially until earlier this year. Um, Before, actually before the complaints started coming out, Mm -hmm. something was telling me I needed to to take myself away intuitively and it was not connected to what's happened with the issues with Istra and Hyden group but maybe I felt it on some level I don't know but um yeah yeah when you finally made that decision to to let go fully is something that had been such a big part of your identity your community professional organization like the role you've played in the world for the last 10 years or so yeah how'd that how'd that feel it was really hard I had I had tried to leave before and then I've got some really 
good connections with Inister and spoke to those people and was like, no, I don't need to leave. I just need to be whatever I'm wanting to bring, like whatever I'm seeing is missing. I just need to be it within this organization. And, um, but specifically in Ister, New Zealand, that that was impossible to do so here. So, and because I didn't want to travel. Right. It was like, well, there's no place for me within it anymore. Mm. Mm. So just feeling into all of that. One of the things you said in your post was that when you're talking about Ister and then also Haydn, because they're separate, but they have a relationship to each other and Haydn Manor is where the Ister trainings have been held. And then there's also the six-week Haydn training. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said was that you got to a point where you wouldn't override your felt experience and body in order to fit a group theory. Can you, yeah, can you speak into that? Because I feel like that, what you, what you said there, that sentence, I won't override my felt experience and body in order to fit something external. I feel like in some ways this is the crux of this is what I teach, you know, this yeah. is what I am about. This is me. Like this is like how can I possibly – I don't care if it's my personality talking and I need to follow myself. I don't care. Like if something is not feeling good in my system, I'm not a yes to it and I won't be a yes to it and I won't be forced to be a yes to it or coerced to be a yes to it. Even if some parts of me are screaming at me going, come on, come on, come on. You know, I'm going to listen to the voice inside of me that's saying no and I'm going to be curious about that voice and wonder what, its intelligence is and even if it's some kind of trauma response it doesn't matter mm -hmm. it still is a valid part of my physiology that I have some wisdom to gain from listening to and cooperating with and learning about and not necessarily learning in a you know a cognitive sense but through my embodied experience learning about mm. um, but yeah, so what, what was the question? Did you just say say something about that? Yeah, just, I, you know, when you're talking about your relationship to the Ister community and then when Haydn started to land in New Zealand and the way that that started to change things and what you were feeling there and you were just like, I can't, you know, people are saying, come do the training, come do the training. You're like, I can't override my felt experience and my body. Um, yeah. Um, no, no. And, yeah, I, I mean, every time one of those temporal trainings happened, I felt it in my body and I wanted to be there so badly. And I wanted to be where everybody I knew was everyone that was any kind of like person in my life. That was what I viewed as someone that was really on the cutting edge and into all these really cool transformational spaces and doing great work. And everybody was going, everyone, I was watching everyone one by one. And it was very, um, difficult to feel myself not in that and to be separate from that and to to stay with my own process of like that this is what my body and being is telling me and I need to honor that and even though I feel like I'm I felt like I was the only one that wasn't going mm. I had to listen to that and I mean that's about the Haydn experience but which is different to Ister um Yeah, I think when the ISTA training started happening in Haida, it changed ISTA New Zealand um, from being something that was more 
uh, you know, I mean, maybe COVID changed it as well, but it just sort of became like Easter New Zealand is at Haydn and it's got a very strong Haydn influence and there's only certain teachers that can come here and it's kind of like became part of the Haydn bubble, I guess, and something in my being and body and my soul, my journey is is re- is repelling from that, is not being. So that's why I guess I found myself in situations where I wasn't being invited to teach in New Zealand and I wasn't resonating with that field to use Ista language, you know. Yeah. It's going in another direction. Yeah, so let's talk about that direction that you've been going in because I've been loving, like I've been reading all your posts and you're talking about things like how we need to have safety and connection. You're talking about things like regenerative aliveness. You're talking about trauma alchemy, the difference between like holding space and the relational field and the nervous system and making small incremental changes over time rather than catharsis release. And I'm like, oh my God, it just sounds like you've done such a deep dive into the multiple layers of the body and how to work skillfully with relational fields and trauma. So how do Um, you describe the work that you're doing now? Well, um, the the body of work that I've been um, discovering is a a body work called alchemical alignment. And the teacher is Bridget Viskins and she, she's a biodynamic cranial sacral therapist. She's like a shamanic Latvian kind of god knows what like very multi-dimensional uh she's also a somatic experiencing practitioner and so she and amongst other things and so she infuses all of that into the way she a designs a trauma training to train people on how to meet trauma in other individuals but also in the way she holds groups um her style of facilitation and then there was also a student of hers, Rachel Maddox, that I did some training with and another, I just want to name my teachers a little bit, and then another student of Rachel's, Catherine Howe, that I did some one-on-one coaching with, trauma-informed coaching. And so all of that together over the last couple of years has, A, it's like, um, I mean, I've changed. I'm different than I was before. And it's been a steady, slow, easy unraveling of some old ways of being that weren't serving me anymore um that suddenly sort of thinking oh I don't do that anymore like when did that happen wow okay um and then now starting to work with other people uh one-on-one at the moment um and this work I guess is um it's more about connecting to our wholeness and what you might call regenerative aliveness or the breath of life as a way of stabilizing what is in the system that is unstable. So it's kind of like rather than the focus being on going into the trauma to fix the trauma or going into the issue or going into the difficulty to solve it and hash it out and work with it. And what we're doing more of the time is creating like this stronger connection to what feels whole and healthy, um, stronger connection to what feels stable, um, going at a slow enough pace that you can notice when 
you're losing presence with what you're working with and losing connection with the body um, and then kind of like going back to the resource or going back to what feels stable, going Mm -hmm. back to health and wholeness and then coming back into difficulty. So it's a really, really gentle way of working with anything that's kind of not working in your system, I suppose, or no, it's not, it's not working. That's actually a wrong way to say it, but anything that feels like it's a challenge or a difficulty or a pattern that you want to change. Mm-hmm. So for example, like if I noticed that I had a pattern of people pleasing, which from a nervous system perspective might be seen as like a, a fawn, how would you yeah. work with that, with what it is that you're doing? Well, it's, I didn't say it's all, it's somatic focus. So mm. get, first of all, we get really, really curious around, uh, you might talk about it just a tiny little bit to touch into what it might feel like. And then we would find something or you would find something that is like perfect fit in terms of the level layer of support. So it might be, you know, connecting to oceans or rivers or mountains or, and then really feeling that for a period of time that you can feel your body really settle into that um, vibration, I suppose you'd call. And then um, once that feels like your body's really anchored in that level of stability, you would perhaps begin talking about this passion and what, and then noticing what's happening through your physical experience through your emotional experience perhaps even psychologically what's happening and then we just be working with it bit by bit uh, just noticing holding presence for it uh, noticing when you get outside of your wind of presence mm-hmm. again or um it's so it's kind of like a journey of Yeah, connecting to stability and meeting the, the what's happening through the body bit by bit in a sort of titrated way mm-hmm. to help it metabolize, to help it move through and to help. And another part of it that's really important is working with what's happening rather than trying to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. We try and resist it and push it away, the more it kind of clings on. So you know, and it's really, as a practitioner, it's really letting go of any agenda whatsoever and just focusing on this person has this intelligence within them. They know it's my job to trust that. It's my job to keep holding that vision and to keep helping them move towards that intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm. it's a very, I found it like, both in my own healing journey and then working with others, like a big weight of pressure has got lifted off my shoulders that actually, you know, I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know what this person needs. Mm -hmm. It's my job to help them discover it. Mm. I love that. So it's not outcome focused. It's focused on allowing the person's own wisdom or intelligence to guide them. And it's focused on orientating to wholeness and moving from that space yeah 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 so when you reflect on some of the methodologies that you used in ISTA like the catharsis processes etc compared to this it's just a whole nother beast eh? it's just a very different 
I mean, I think that, um, you know, in some ways I do feel like, damn it, I, I do feel like I could have, I wish I could have stayed with this and brought some of this in. But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, just wasn't possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had to move away and, 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 and it is, it is so very different. I mean, I, I did, I did have a feeling that ISTA needed something more like this for many people mm-hmm. and, you know, spoke within the faculty but didn't really get any traction there. And all the points that I raise are things I think they are struggling with now and have had been called out by. So it is a shame that the power structures that were in ISTA, in my mind and in my experience, squashed my voice a little bit. Mm. How did it feel being in a transformational, you know, organisation and feeling that your voice is getting squashed when a lot of it is around apparently supporting people to be able to stand in power and speak from power and sovereignty, et cetera? Well, there's there's hierarchies of power within ISTA because you've got the lead circle, which obviously has more responsibility within the organisation. They lead the trainings. Um, and so they're holding a stronger position of power. And then there's many, many, many co-facilitators and then the apprentices and then the assistants. So, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in the group that's not mm. coming into the lead circle, which is a real shame because um, the whole thing within that sort of organism is it's not meant to be top down or power over. Yeah, but it, my experience kind of is. Mm. I mean, it's a big call to create any kind of organization that's not going to be hierarchical or power down, power over, um, yeah. because we live in a society that functions in that way. Like it's it's so embedded in how we operate. Um, so I love the fact that they didn't want to do it that way. And maybe there's evolution happening now. Who knows um mm, yeah just, yeah yeah so I'm thinking too it's like oh where, where do we want to go next I am curious about your own journey as a human as an individual in terms of like obviously sexuality is something that you're focused on a lot like that conscious sexuality when you came out of us you began yin sexuality so what makes sexuality yin what does that mean well I don't know I just for my own I I started the menopause journey but it started perimenopause started for me at 48 I'm 51 now so I'm three years into I haven't actually bled since 2019 July 2019 so I'm pretty you know I'm post-menopause now Um, And that really changed my sexuality. And I think the menopause journey is very much about truth. So when it comes to sexuality, it was like any, any way I was behaving in my sexuality that wasn't quite what I exactly what I wanted started to become unbearable. Um, Mm. What I realized is it, a lot of my sex life, my whole life, you know, since I was an adult, I'd, 
I'd been like subtly trying to have sex in a way that I thought they liked. So mm-hmm. or in liked. And actually there was more of a longing in me. And this was even after exploring my sexuality quite consciously for 11 years. I mean, I definitely became much more orgasmic, much more sensitive, let go of a lot of shame, but I hadn't quite found the true language of my body, I don't think. It's still been trying to make it do something that was. Mm. So it's still a slight, like, performative? Yeah, like expected of the tantra field, expected or the conscious sexuality field, expected of the partner as with, like rather than learning to really listen really deeply to my own body and let it slowly unwind in the way it wants to unwind and feel like what's the what's the most natural organic thing that wants to happen now. And that was that's when in sexuality started to become a thing for me. And I started to realize I actually want like a lot more yin space. Like I, I want to slow down and not have any kind of goal. And I just like want to keep things very um, uh, organic and not trying to make anything happen and, um, you know, really luxuriate in that. And actually I've got such a hunger for it. Like it's something that I hadn't allowed myself as much because I guess in the past I thought it was taking too long. They might be getting bored. This mm-hmm. might be what they want. Um, so yeah, I had a period of time with um with my then partner where I was asking for that a lot more. Um that kind of space a lot, lot more. In fact, it must be really challenging for him because I just wanted it all the time. I didn't really want any other kind of sex. I just I didn't want yang sex at all. Um, which isn't balanced either. You know, I feel like um, it's good to be able to explore a full range of our experience in anything in life. You know, you might choose to specialise or, you know, go in a particular direction for a while, but you want to be out of access to different range of experience usually. So I think because I'd had a big drought around what I really needed there was a hunger in me for this gene space. And then I just thought, wow, if I'm feeling like this, I wonder how many other women there are out there. And I kind of came up with this notion that I think a lot of women are having sex like men because that's what we've been conditioned to do, the narrative around sex. And uh, even in sex-positive communities and conscious sexuality, it seems like there's a drive for sort of making things reach a certain goal or yeah so if if we're only exploring our sexuality as a way of going towards a certain goal and there's an agenda on some subtle level I think what it does is it freezes more organic sort of breath of life kind of energy of our sexuality that just blooms from a place of relaxation or letting go or you know it's a bit like the kind of trauma-informed work I've been doing in that style of facilitation it's what happens when we let go of agenda it's what happens when we trust the intelligence within our body and and then Mm -hmm. someone else when you meet somebody else in that and you keep doing that what can happen between the two of you it's not like anything is 
right, we've got to do this now and then you need to touch there and then you have to press that button and make this happen, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, that kind of thing can be fun too, don't get me wrong, but it is, it's directive and it's, you know, yang and it has a goal and mm. there's another whole other side. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting and actually really regenerative for women's bodies and especially as you get older and come in towards menopause. Like I feel like it's imperative that a woman finds that part of her sexuality. Otherwise she'll just like, nah, I don't like sex anymore. I think I'll just not have sex anymore. Oh. And how many women in our society do that? I don't know. That's a, a good question. A lot. A lot I would wow. Okay. Um, so what you're speaking of, like I know for me with sexuality, the only place that I can and want to move from is presence. And if I'm with someone who has an agenda or expectations or is thinking about what he wants to do, I can't like does not compute, you know, it just doesn't <laughs> compute. It like, I'm like, I'm not, you're not with me because if he's yeah. in his head, if he's operating from that space of being in his head, we're not actually meeting. And so it's really interesting yeah. to, to hear you describe it because I think I've naturally found my way to that place, possibly because of the right. kind of embodiment practices and dance practices that my expression of sexuality is very much about surrendering to the energy itself and just letting that move and however it wishes to with no goal, no outcome, no agenda. Just doesn't, like I say, it doesn't compute. Mm. good yeah. to celebrate you because that's definitely a space that we want to be able to get to as women and, and and it's an invitation for men to come into that place with us and or not just men or partners or whatever gender they are yeah so much more playful like that's the thing from my perspective of moving from that space it's like there is no agenda or expectations, but anything could happen because it's just presence. It's just expression that's coming through the being. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about menopause because I don't hear a lot of the conversations around. I know there's probably more going on now. Um, and the journey of being a woman who's getting older, like every single woman in on the planet, whether you're 20 or 50, you're getting older. Like that's just a fact. And you're going to go through menopause at some point. So how has it felt for you becoming um, an older woman, going through menopause? What's it brought up? How have you dealt with it? Give us a juice. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I, I feel like it's a bit like childbirth, like go through childbirth and go into parenthood and you're like, why didn't anyone tell me how hard this was? Like, why didn't why didn't somebody warn me? Because we just tend to in our society talk about the nice things, and it's a bit like that with menopause. And I had heard stories, and you know, you hear people say, "I sailed through it, and it was fine." And other people like, "Oh my god, yeah, I was up all night, sweats." And so, um, I guess I was shocked at first when it first started because I was only forty-eight, and it was quite sudden for me, um, and. Yeah, I noticed um, a rapid, because my periods just stopped once. They were six months apart for a couple of times and then they just stopped. So um, 
and that yeah that was happening since 2018 and then 2019 it stopped completely so and I just got the hang of working with my cycle I was like it was in my calendar I was like only organizing events and things when it was like the right time I was like oh my god I'm totally I'm just lost <laughs> then it stopped I was like okay well at least I managed <laughs> I don't know, a month or maybe, or I don't know. But um, so it was a shock for me to go, oh my gosh, like I'm not a menstruating woman anymore. Therefore, I'm not fertile. I had all sorts of thoughts of like, what, what's, what does that mean? Um, I had like a big journey around feeling um, like I was going to be left on the shelf kind of feeling like and it didn't even feel like it was mine it felt like a cultural collective pain um yeah um it really affected my sexuality like quite considerably um I went from sort of feeling quite a lot of aliveness in my sexuality and my pussy to feeling like quite numb which was mm disturbing given you know all the work that I've done and you know I was uh Kyle my partner at the time we're we've been transitioning quite a long time we're still very very good friends and still lovers sometimes but we're not in that partnership thing anymore but at the time you know he's much younger than me so it was really difficult for our connection because um yeah he wasn't really he, he wasn't really able to really hold space for me in the way I wanted him to. I wanted mm. to be able to just be okay with not being sexual for a while. And, yeah, it was, yeah, it was really hard, that initial bit. And, and also the other symptom that I had that was quite strong was the emotional, psychological side of it. So um, I I lost a lot of confidence and I felt very, um, like I'd call it like a low-level anxiety that was present in me all the time and I actually felt like a a car with its hazard lights on like there's mm. just something didn't feel right and so I did change my diet and was sort of trying to clean things up and trying to really work on the emotional stuff <laughs> You know, my wheels were falling off and COVID was happening and my business was in shambles. The relationship was crashing. You know, it was just like, what the hell? Like, you know, everything is on every level is collapsing around. I'm collapsing. My everything, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> so, oh. yeah, I feel like it was a really powerful initiation for me to get really truthful with myself. Because what I noticed that was happening was I didn't have I had zero tolerance for anything that wasn't feeling good um, on some level for me. So it's like that that ability to accommodate others, that ability to just sort of gloss over things a bit vanished. Like there's none of that anymore. So mm. areas of my life where I'd been yeah, where that was an issue, were becoming highlighted and, and it was going through my life with a fine tooth comb, just kind of like taking away everything that wasn't really, you know, meant for me, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a lot of words, and there's so much more I could say. But what are you? What are you really curious about? Like what? What, what feels? Well, like what you what you're speaking of of like how it can be an initiation, how there's you know physical side, but the mental emotional, and one thing that I'm really curious about that you spoke into is the collective conditioning around what it means to be a woman and what it means to go through menopause. And it sounds like some of that collective conditioning was activated because this is something that I feel like it's like, yeah, we have our individual conditioning, but there's definitely collective conditioning around things. And when we go through certain um, processes in life that have a physical, like, like starting, you know, starting menstruation and then childbirth, like you said, and then you know, menopause, that it activates the social conditioning and that has to be dealt with as well. Um, yeah, so if you could speak more in, into that, like did you feel like you would suddenly be of less of um, less valued or less attractive or? It didn't make sense to a part of me that was like, that's not true. But then it felt so true. And I do think it's like a collective trauma that is in our society that, perhaps you know other women my age feel of and the 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 overwhelming feeling that I kept having to struggle with and still am working with is being silenced like shut Mm. up you know or stop talking about that or and it's not something anyone's directly saying to me but it just feels like a very strong energetic that's within our culture which is silencing that mature female embodied feminine voice. Mm. Um, so what I see you doing, like you wrote a post, I think yesterday, the day before on Facebook, where you were just like, I don't give a fuck and I'm going to name this stuff and I don't care anymore. And I'm just speaking up. Is that you deliberately leaning into that felt sense of being silenced? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, a lot of my Facebook posts, I don't think about them beforehand. I'm just like, I'm going to write something. I feel an impulse to, and I'll start writing. And I won't even know what's coming out. And then, oh, this, this, this is coming out. Um, like yesterday, I wrote. It was going into my phone. Like, what do I want to talk about on Facebook? Nothing. Damn it. There's nothing. There's nothing. Zero. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't have an ability to be able to put things at the moment in order of this is what I'm talking about next you know it's more like this is what wants to come through in the moment in a very kind of unplanned way um, and just learning to trust that more and more and more I suppose mm. so where do you feel then having you know coming through menopause the sort of the burning down of the old identity re-emerging where do you feel in relationship to power you know because obviously as a young woman, as a youthful woman, there's a certain power that's there just because of the power of youth, right? And now, obviously, I'm not young anymore. You're not young anymore. But I, I know for myself, I feel so much more centered and empowered than I ever did back then. So I'm curious, what's your relationship to power now? What does it mean to you? Where are you with it? Well... It's not as important to me as it used to be. Uh, I, I think in myself, like when I, whenever I tune into power, I automatically go down in my body um, and connect with like the lower part of my body in the earth. And I've been humbled around power. 
to, to tears and I've just fucking surrendered. Um, to be in a position of power over others, you know, to me is still edgy. Like I'm still trying to work out how to do that in a way that feels where I'm not giving my power away and making out that I don't know anything, yet I am deeply honouring the others that are there and their power and their intelligence and the weight of what's in that. Those people that would gather to, you know, perhaps do something with me. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a, it feels like it's like I'm in a process of maturing what that relational feel might look like and how I might show up in that space with others. And yeah, when I think about power, I automatically go into not only my own personal power, but how I want to lead and how I want to show up in a place of guiding others and, um, Yeah, yeah, but you know, certainly in my personal life, I'm much more in my power, I guess, with regards to how I'm showing up in relationships with people, like friends and my ex partner who I still live with, Kyle, who uh, <laughs> it's been an interesting journey, but we've kind of transitioned our relationship and. Yeah, I've been humbled by that journey as well. So that's another more personal layer of power that I've had to just, that's been moulding me. Like I've often had the feeling with menopause, like this sounds quite harsh, but like a piece of metal that's been put in the furnace mm-hmm. and made red hot and then taken out and then it's just like being banged into feels like a beautiful shape but even so it's like banging and actually have to confess and I do feel like I did feel a bit let down on myself that I needed this for some reason I don't know why but I am taking a small amount of bioidentical hormones just to ease the transition because I felt like it was too much too fast too soon for my system and my intention is to peter that out at some point mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Interesting how there's a that not feeling great about doing it, but reckon it is what's it sounds like it's what's needed for the body. Oh, I feel so much better. Yeah, I actually kind of feel more comfortable with my skin and um my sexuality kind of came back online again in a a way where I have more range now and um yeah, like I'm still Maybe it'll be the next 10, 20 years that I'm unraveling what menopause is for me and I don't feel like it's something that happens overnight and I don't suddenly have my crone ship on, you know. This is <laughs> the rest of my life I get to work with this. The yeah. rest of my life I get to uncover the intelligence that's in my body and how it works in relation. And, it, and it's like sometimes I think with menopause it's not that there's anything wrong with my body it's what's wrong with the way we're living and it's what's wrong with the system we're in and it's not fitting with you know the way we do things in life and and it's not I mean I know western women have a real hard time with menopause because of adrenal fatigue and thyroid issues and congested liver and all those kind of things play a big role in physical symptoms being worse 
Mm-hmm. Um, be interesting to know, yeah, which people in the world, which women are the healthiest that have the less menopause problems, actually. We'll be curious yeah. to know how they live their lives. And, um, yeah, it's definitely something I want to explore more about. Just a couple more questions before we wrap up. What do you wish, like if you could tell yourself age 46, 47, 48, about what was about to unfold for you in terms of the menopause and, you know, leaving Ister and coat, like all of the things, what would you have told or what would you tell that 46, 47-year-old Ellie? Yeah, I think I'd just say trust yourself. You've got this, you know. Mm. You, you've got this. Like, you just trust yourself because a lot of my um, – my nature and my personality, like I've struggled massively with imposter syndrome, self-doubt, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway kind of thing. And, and yeah, like, you know, some of that is from my own developmental trauma and some of it is just kind of like it's like part of my personality, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can second-guess myself and I can not, you know, judge myself for and I think, yeah, I would go back to the 46-year-old with a lot of compassion, a lot of kindness and just tell her to, to trust herself. Mm. And so then final question, you're at you're on sort of the dawn of your 50s. <laughs> yeah. What, 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 when you feel into what's coming, what you're bringing through, um, what might unfold, how do you feel? What do you see for the next few years, decade? It's a good question. Um, I'd like to think that whatever it is I do over the next 10 years is really helping this earth and everyone on it in some way. Mm. And like my life gets more and more meaningful and Yeah, that I get closer and closer to really experiencing who I am as a soul on this world and what my unique niche is. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a commitment to my soul to keep working with unraveling that. So in some ways I'm kind of feeling quite surrendered and in other ways there's parts of me panicking going oh we should be building a brand and kind of like we should be going out in the world we should be holding more workshops and you should you know you should be and I'm like okay all right (laughs) I hear you yeah we want to do that too perhaps if it if it's part of this plan and then you know as a soul endeavoring to I wouldn't say wake up because I've already woken up, but more about really embodying that soul here on earth. You know, like I do feel pretty committed to keeping to surrender to that, however mm. that looks. Mm-hmm. So, it, mm. yeah. Mm. It's part of me that's like hitting me now going, why do you want to do that? You know, it would be really good to, build a brand and make some 
financial stability and catch in on this that you're, you know, uncovering and you've got a lot of experience and, yeah. Mm, and yet I feel, like, well, like when you speak, I really feel like this, this softness and this power and this expansiveness and I can feel like, oh, what a what a what it's like for you to move from that space where it's not about go 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 build 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 it's more just like yeah there's a there's a quality to it and I'm like that quality is really freaking attractive and you know when I think about I mean I'm not in the so-called rat race and I still get swept up sometimes and they're trying to get somewhere and I'm like wait a second there's nowhere to get to this is it just relax and savor the fuck out of it. Um, so I feel like the wisdom that you're bringing through around slowing down and, and deepening and, and moving from that space, particularly for women who might be caught up in the speedy adrenaline gland blowing out kind of activities, we have so much to receive from you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am I, very, uh, I miss the group space massively. I miss having a community to serve. I miss, yeah, I miss that massively. Yeah. And I do back out there and I do feel like what I'm learning will be of value to people and men as well. You know, I'm still kind of, even though I try to move away from the sexuality field, it's kind of following me. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I feel deeply like, you know, I think part of my design as a soul is even though I struggle with people and I find it hard to find safety connection with others, that's part of my medicine, you know, is, you know, is learning how to um, navigate that and then bring that to others, like, um, and yeah there's no and there's nothing after that why don't I say and I think I thought I had to say something else Mm. well Ali thank you so much for coming on the show and having this this conversation I just want to honor your journey you know over over the last 12 or so years in particular and the way you have shown up in this community and the way that you do lead and are leading the way you're stepping out now um, I feel very grateful that you're here and that you're a woman that I can look to, you know. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for having me. And I love chatting with you. So it's been a pleasure as mm. always. So that was Ali Wild on Conversations with Carolia. So glad to finally speak to Ali. She, like I said, she joined Ister in 2011 and She's really been on the inside of that particular organism and seen many things. So it was really beautiful to hear her speak of some of her experiences of being in that particular organism and all the trainings that she led. Um, If you're curious to know more about her journey, she has been fairly explicit about it on some of her Facebook posts. And I will add links to those posts in the show notes so that you can find out more about Ellie, and of course there'll be links to her body of work um, just big shout out to the women who are navigating menopause and making these transitions um, I feel like in our society we're still busting through some of the stereotypes some of the conditioning some of the ideas about 
what it means to be an older woman. And I find it really fascinating that Ali's felt that silencing coming in, not directly from people, but like in the energetic field. Um, and I think it's curious the way that she talked about how she's got no tolerance for bullshit anymore. She didn't use the word bullshit. I'm paraphrasing. But the way that she's like, yeah, I've got no, got no tolerance for that. And I wonder if that's part of the power that can start to really come through as women age, right? What's it mean to be powerful older women? Um, yeah. So big love to Allie Wild. Uh, check out the links. And if you have not yet subscribed to Conversations with Carolee, make sure you subscribe in all the places, whether you're watching on YouTube or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on because um, I will be back with more guests we're talking spirituality we're talking sexuality we're talking power and we are talking awakening and the intersection of all those things so much love to you all are you ready to realize the self to resolve your shit to rejoice in daily life Join Karalia's community via her online platform, The Toolbox. Get ready for a paradigm shift in how you experience yourself and your reality. The Toolbox, where you'll find everything you need for the spiritual path, view teachings, practices, community, and a teacher who cares. Find The Toolbox at toolbox.karalia.com. T O-O-L-B-O-X dot K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Karalia. And trust that you enjoyed that nuanced deep dive into spirituality, sexuality, power, and awakening. If you love my take on the spiritual path and you're looking for more insights like this, then make sure you subscribe and like. You can also check out my website, karaleah.com. That's K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H.com. And subscribe to my weekly newsletter.